So these robots have a level of cognition, if you will, that make them a lot more fluid. They can adjust to slight differences in their environment or their workstation. They can be deployed a lot easier because they don't have to be pre-programmed. They're, they're actually sort of, they have embedded intelligence within them. Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla 76. As my guest today will tell you, we're moving into a new era of robotics. Whereas robots were once defined by the task they performed, this new wave of next-gen robots are hyper-intelligent, aware of their environments, can differentiate between people and objects, and can adjust on the fly. But heck, you'll benefit much more from my guest telling you about it than me. So let me introduce him. Nan Lee invests in frontier technologies built to transform industrial enterprise sectors like pharmaceuticals, manufacturing, agriculture, and logistics. He leads obvious ventures investments in computational biology visionaries like Zymergen, Recursion Pharmaceuticals, and Lab Genius, AI-driven platforms opening new opportunities across sectors such as Planet, Inato and Darwin AI, and intelligent robotics companies like Dexterity. Prior to joining Obvious Ventures, Nan managed early stage tech investments for Eric Schmidt's innovation endeavors. He previously led product operations and finance at Gigwalk, a mobile crowdsourced data and analytics company funded by Greylock Partners and August Capital. Prior to Gigwalk, Nan was a VC at Bain Capital Ventures a management consultant at Bain & Company, and a product manager at Microsoft. Nan holds a BSE in Computer Science Engineering from the University of Michigan and is an adjunct lecturer at Stanford on venture capital. Nan grew up in Detroit after emigrating from China. He enjoys music, photography, culture, puzzles, all Detroit sports, and general nerddom. Nan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a Wisconsin born and raised guy living in St. Louis now. And, um, and whenever I have somebody from Chicago or Minnesota, I always, you know, always have a moment about Packers versus Vikings or, or, um, or, or bears. But, uh, I, I usually try to refrain from talking trash to, to lions fans. Cause you guys have it hard enough. Although That's a good you did, thing. There's, you, there's did no beat us. you did beat us the last <laughs> week of the season though, in a, in a game that wasn't too meaningful for the Packers yeah, this year. And but. we, and we <laughs> lost the first round draft pick. So it's a very lions thing to do. <laughs> yeah. It sounds about right. I, I, I have, I do take pity on you guys a little bit. Cause it seems like one of those franchises that just you've got the pieces and then you just can't quite get there, but you know, <laughs> yep. Wasted two uh, generational talents in a I'm, row. So uh, maybe call it three with Stafford. So. Oh, I know. It was Barry Sanders, Megatron. Yeah. yeah, yeah there, there goes Stafford, right? So yeah. yeah. Well, all right. Well, we'll, we'll talk about happier things for the rest of the yeah. episode. So. <laughs> no rivalry there. Yeah. <laughs> well, Nan, you are doing such interesting things at Obvious Ventures. For our listeners, if you're front of, in front of a computer right now, pull up their website and just look at the carousel of short video clips that loads on their homepage. It's, I was, I was looking at this and, and I'm, I'm looking at some of these things thinking, oh, these are like futuristic stock videos and nope, these are like 
your investments and the companies you're actually working with that are doing just amazing things. So I t- start by just telling our listeners a little bit about what Obvious Ventures is all about, what you guys are doing, the types of companies you're investing in. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's a great place to start. We launched Obvious in 2014. So we've been around for going on nine years now. And, uh, you know, the, the, the general idea behind Obvious from day one, which we very much follow today is that we are a venture capital firm situated in the heart of Silicon Valley, uh, with deep roots and network in the tech industry, but we're hyper-focused on opportunities to take all of that great tech and integrate it into the real things that matter in our society. So the really heavy duty sectors that make up the vast majority of our economy are actually not related to the internet or building Facebook or building Twitter. They are you know, industrials and healthcare, drug discovery and life science, transportation and supply chain. So that's where we do all of our work. So we think of ourselves as a firm that's really focused on tech transformation of really large industries that have lots of different problems embedded within them. Yeah, I love the philosophy and um, you know the decisions you've you've made about where to invest and the types of companies to help move forward. It's it's really cool. And and now you yourself have a very interesting and impressive background. You've accomplished a lot already as an entrepreneur um, in your career. And I'd love to hear you tell a little bit more about your own personal journey that led you to where you are today. Yeah, um, you know, I've, I've had sort of a wandering journey. I, uh, you know, immigrated to the U.S. First gen immigrant, grew up in Detroit. So I, I think from that sort of early uh, phase was uh, embedded in inside of a lot of sort of industrial environments. And I have a lot of friends and family that work in the auto industry or the auto supplier sort of related industries. So I have a real sort of affinity and a soft spot for you know doing real work in factories and warehouse environments. In terms of background, I did sort of dual computer science and math. So I have a pretty technical orientation. And with that, I went into the tech industry and sort of worked across a variety of, a variety of different roles, uh, product management, building sales teams, customer success and support, and uh, you know, eventually became an investor. And I've been doing startup investing, early stage venture capital for about a decade at this point. Very cool. Well, I know that, uh, you know, a lot of your career's direction has, you know, headed towards robotics or it's at least an area of, of interest for you. And I want to get into that with you. You, you know, you, one thing you said to me when we talked uh, a while back to sort of plan out what we wanted to do with this episode was that there's a movement now that is different than a decade ago, as far as uh, robotics goes. Sure. And I'd love to hear you just talk about what you mean by that, what you're seeing now versus then. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I think that robotics is not an unfamiliar phrase to anyone that's ever watched a movie or has been sort of part of uh, you know society or the tech industry. It's been promised for a long time. In in many ways, robotics have been in the world for a really long time. There are really large robotics companies like ABB and Fanuc and KUKA that build great products and they're being used in manufacturing facilities. Um, but uh, where I would draw a separation is that there, there are a whole class of robotics that are actually deployed today that are sort of fixed robotics, as in they can, they can only do one task. They're, they're typically following point-by-point point instructions down to the millimeter. So they're repeating pre-planned motions uh, very precisely because they're engineered to do that. 
but they're not very agile and they're not aware of what they're doing. They're not aware of their environment. They're not aware of people. So they typically have to be fenced off. They're, they're in a cage. They do some fixed task like welding, you know, spot welding is really popular for robotics. You know, very few people actually do spot welding anymore because the use case is so sort of custom fit for those kinds of capabilities. And that's where I would separate the sort of traditional robotics industry are those sort of fixed enclosure robots that do one thing and you program them and then you just let them do it. And you don't touch the, the conveyor or the, the robot because they're not going to be able to adjust. And we're moving into an era now, which is also related to robotics, but I think it should be called a totally separate category because the robots that are being deployed now and sort of next-gen robots, if you will, um, they, they look nothing like the, the previous generation. The hardware is the same, but I think what's advanced a lot is the software and perception capabilities that make these robots essentially break through those boundaries that I just laid out. You know, next-gen robots and a lot of the robots that I work with and have, have exposure to in the startup community, they're hyper-intelligent. They're aware of their environment. They are aware of, of the difference between people and objects. They can adjust their path planning and grip strategies in real time based on the orientation across different products from one moment to the next moment. So these robots uh, have a level of cognition, if you will, that make them a lot more fluid. They can adjust to slight differences in their environment or their workstation. They can be deployed a lot easier because they don't have to be pre-programmed. They're, they're actually sort of, they have embedded intelligence within them. So these kind of fluid, agile robots, I think will define the next wave of robotics. And if you think about the kinds of work that that type of robot can accomplish, it's actually a much larger universe of tasks. If you if you break down what's being done in a factory or a warehouse, there's a, a set of, of jobs to be done that are fixed and pre-programmed static robots can do them well and, and mostly are already doing them because those robots have existed for 20, 30 years. But there's a much larger universe of jobs to be done that requires some cognition, some you know, edge intelligence, you know, and, and the, the new wave of robots are uh, built to uh, tackle those kinds of jobs that be, before today have never been able to be touched by those kind of uh, dumber, older robots because they're, they're just too fluid. They're too agile and the robots can't keep up. And, and that, that is changing in a really significant way. Yeah. Those are all really good points. Um, so you said at the beginning of, of that segment that you almost would call it something different than robotics or, or it's almost like there's a new category being created here of this hyper intelligent robot. What would, what would you call it? You know, uh, I work with a, a company called Dexterity that mm -hmm. that's in this, I think really leading the way in, in this advanced robotics category and something that they've started using with their customers is FTE robotics. And that's, that's essentially a shift from thinking about a robot as is actually what I just said, a welding robot or, uh, a sheet metal robot. You know, robots used to be defined by their task because they're they're configured and built just for one task. So you might as well call it what the robot does. And with this kind of you know agility and adaptability, robots uh, uh, you know in this wave are a little bit more like workers. They're just kind of alternative 
different types of workers that can be in that facility. So, you know, maybe that's not the catchiest of names, but I, I think it it speaks to the real difference in you know these robot, robots can do a really wide variety of tasks. They don't have to be reprogrammed in between those tasks. They can actually do one thing today and a totally different thing tomorrow, and they can make that transition. So Dexterity has been using this term FTE robotics, which I uh, I like because it really draws that distinction. Yeah, totally. You know, another thing you said to me, Nan, was that companies are now borrowing technology that was developed from the autonomous vehicle industry and putting it into the robots robot stack for free. I think is kind of the way way you you phrased it when we we talked a little while back. And I'd be curious to hear you talk about that and just sort of elaborate on like, how are we benefiting from what's been going on with the development of autonomous vehicles in, in other parts of manufacturing now? Yeah. You know, I, I think it goes back to um, a little bit of the why now, because when you look at some of these capabilities that we're talking about, they're clearly uh, very lucrative and, and attractive capabilities for robots to have, you know, who doesn't want to avoid programming a robot for nine months before being able to use it. That, that's not a really great user experience, but that's what typically exists in the industry. So this, this idea of robots that are intelligent and agile and can be deployed really quickly in different types of environments, this has sort of been a promise to the industry for a really long time. I bet a lot of listeners here or a lot of folks around industrials and manufacturing are totally aware of this promise. If you go back maybe 10 years or even further the keynotes of industrial conferences and industrial automation conferences have touched on these ideas for a really long time. So like this is old news, but the capability has always been lagging. And I think the why now for robotics is not as simple as pointing to one technology, but is actually this sort of perfect storm of different types of technologies that are all maturing. And my point to you earlier was that those technologies are sort of being developed in adjacent spaces and the field of robotics gets to borrow those and, and bring them in house for free. You can think of the R and D of the robotics stack has been advanced by other industries. And, and the example I brought up was computer vision, for example, you know, for robots to really be able to adapt to jobs, they need to have really great perception in terms of visual perception, three-dimensional spatial perception so that they can map their environment, they can map the job. If the uh, object that needs to be manipulated changes, they can sort of map that and adjust to it. So, so you know, spatial awareness and computer vision, those are two characteristics that are also very important in autonomous vehicles. And if you think about the billions of dollars of research that have been dumped into AVs, you know, by Ford, by GM, by startups, by Tesla, by Google, Waymo, a lot of those dollars went into advancing the perception stack of vehicles. And, and actually autonomous vehicles are just robots in a way that are on the road. You know, they're, they're making decisions in real time. They're scanning the environment. They're uh, trying to find, you know, dangerous uh, objects or objects to avoid like people and robots are, are uh, being asked to do very similar things. And a lot of the modern companies that are coming out today, they get to sit on top of a mountain of research and open source software that have been developed in the last decade in the era of AV. And that's just one of those examples where they get a big head to start and a big leap, uh, thanks to you know other tech industry developments and, and uh, other companies that are 
you know, doing great research and doing great work. Nan, a theme that I hear throughout conversations with my podcast interviewees, my clients, my prospects is that robots are quickly becoming so much more accessible as the technology matures and costs go down. We're not always talking about some massive capital expenditure anymore. Can you comment on that from where you sit? Yeah, that's actually a great, a great point. Uh, another one of those sort of technology curves that, that is sitting alongside computer vision and perception is also on the hardware side, you know, both the metal hardware around robotic systems uh, being uh, advanced by large robotics companies like Kawasaki and ABB. And, you know, their arms are getting cheaper and cheaper every year uh, just through, you know, competition with each other and the maturing of the the build and the bomb, you know, the arms and the equipment are, uh, you know, getting, getting more accessible, uh, going down a cost curve. And then alongside that, the, the sort of, accessories and sensors that that need to be deployed uh, alongside robot uh, robotic uh, arms those are also going down a cost curve um, again because of uh, volume growth in consumer electronics you know, we think about you know 3d sensors for example those are being used in retail they're being used in gaming you know 3d sensors are actually in uh, Xbox connects so a lot of that sort of volume play and the maturity of the supply chain in places like Taiwan and China contribute to make the hardware more accessible. Uh, and just again, getting to that CapEx issue, I think those curves are, are happening with or without robotics and robotics gets to sort of sit on top and, and reap the benefits of that. Love that. So I can't help none, but to think that, um, sometimes manufacturers don't realize what's possible and how accessible, uh, robots can be. Are there examples um, of robotics or automation that you can share that might make our listeners say, huh, interesting. I wouldn't have thought of that in that application or my head wouldn't have gone there. Yeah. Um, there, there are a lot of use case specific examples, but if I, if I just kind of back up a little bit further, I think a lot of the preconceived notions around robotics really needs to be rewritten in this era of FTE robotics. Uh, if we stick with that name Mm -hmm. and uh, I think the message to a lot of folks with prior experience with robotics um, for me and, and why I really want to sort of get that message out is really throw away the old beliefs and, and look at this industry with fresh eyes. Uh, and some of those beliefs are robots are, are massively expensive. They require writing a huge upfront check to even get them in the door to do anything. So the buying pattern is spend a bunch of money and then recoup that over multiple years to make your ROI. Uh, that's going away because robotics uh, solutions are borrowing the business model of SaaS and software. And now there's uh, a, a lot of them, the newer companies are offering robotics as a service. So it's a subscription service that goes into OpEx spend instead of coming out of CapEx spend, making it a lot easier to afford and making it a little bit more apples to apples with sort of just the daily operations of any facility and easier to purchase. Another preconceived notion is that ro- robotic systems are uh, very hard to integrate. You have to work with an SI in addition to the robotics vendor. There's a bunch of services costs and setup costs, and you're, you know, at the point of decision to adopt something. You're still nine months, a year away from from it going live to do anything in your in your facility. That is also going away. Robotic solutions today can be stood up and live in production 
dif- differs on vendors, but I would say in the range of a month. You know, a lot of companies I work with, once they're given the keys to a facility, their systems are alive and going at production volume and speed within one month because they don't follow point by point instruction. They don't have to be custom coded, you know, so, so that's a huge benefit. So there's a lot more flexibility in uh, adopting them. There's a, there's a lot of cost benefit um, and sort of earlier ROI payback on, on the new systems. So I think all of that gets into this trend and, and theme of accessibility. Yeah. All, all great stuff there. Nan, is there anything I did not ask you about that you'd like to add to this conversation or a message you want to be able to send? A summary of a lot of what we talked about, which are, I think we talked about a little bit of the inputs of sort of the, the trends and changes in the technology and the hardware. But if I could really, like, really land a message that is the output of all of that is that I think robotic systems today are cheaper than ever, lightning fast to deploy. We're talking about weeks to, to a month. And uh, I've seen a lot of the newer robotic systems in the field. And the third point is that they they deliver and work and scale. You know, I, I'm seeing robotic systems getting into the high thousand to 2000 picks per hour rate on uh, mixed bin picking and belt picking, uh, kitting, some of those sort of very common use cases. So to those who are aware of, of that sort of benchmark and standard, those are crazy numbers. You know, uh, a good sense is, you know, human pick per hour on a lot of sort of uh, mixed tests is in the five, 600 range, kind of depending on who you ask. Your robot systems today are, they're not brittle, they're production ready. A lot of companies that I see have scaled into the hundreds of robots that are running in real time in mixed facilities with people walking around them. So we're just in a totally new era. And I think to those who haven't taken a fresh look, they might be shocked by actually how far along we are. You know, I'm, I'm not really talking about anything that isn't already happening, or I'm not making predictions about the future. I'm, I'm simply pointing at, from my vantage point of being able to watch some of the more innovative companies launch and go to market and, and watch how they do. And by the way, that's something I've done over my entire investment career is, is watch robotic systems deploy. And this is the first time ever that these systems are working when they first land, even if it's the first unit out of a new company, which seems risky, they work. And then it turns into 10, it turns into hundred, it turns into 500. So, you know, we're, we're still early days, but we're not so early that these are predictions. This is happening in the world today, in America today, in manufacturing environments and supply chain environments, these kind of next gen intelligent robots are at work and they're, about to hit a really explosive uh, scale up in volume, and and that's my prediction into the future is that uh, you know this kind of conversation will feel so redundant and and so blasé within three years. I think it's just going to be a total truism that wow, you know, a, a lot of the places that you know I have where I have labor shortages or where there are seasonality and in, in flex volume, the solution is is a robot, and I, I'm I'm really excited about that. Uh, near future that sort of the early proof points of that are, have already happened. Yeah. Well, I, I think you're right on the money and um, I'm hearing it from a lot of angles from people who are very close to this, like yourself. So, well, Nan, I, I appreciate you doing this today. This is a great conversation. Um, yeah. Can you tell our audience how they can get in touch with you and also how they can learn more about what obvious ventures is doing? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, most mostly on Twitter. So just N-A-N-L-I uh, on Twitter, and you can follow a lot of the progress. And uh, of course, uh, Obvious Ventures as well. We're very active on social media. Beautiful. Well, Nan, thanks again for doing this today. Thanks for having me. This was fun. You bet. As for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of the Manufacturing Executive. You've been listening to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about industrial marketing and sales strategy, you'll find an ever-expanding collection of articles, videos, guides, and tools specifically for B2B manufacturers at gorilla76.com learn. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. <laughs>